Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. And I think what's very interesting is that, you know, when you read descriptions of um, of compassion, especially in Buddhist texts, for example, the Dalai Lama, there is this great sense of it is an, uh, a natural thing. It's an upwelling of something that's already there. And um, this, this, this notion of having to kind of generate or kind of manufacture compassion immediately starts to topple into like, well, who's manufacturing it and for whom? And it becomes too manufactured. And I found that... Um, some of the findings of neuroscience uh, are really, really useful in kind of understanding this. Because in essence, I think uh, com- compassion, and, and you know, when you look at neuroscience, there's a lot of evidence that compassion is inba- inbuilt in us as mammals. Um, and again, it's this logjam, because as you pointed out, Mary, Really, you've got to get rid of all the things that get in the way of that natural compassion arising, and those are not our these are not you know our sins and our bad things. You know, we're bad people because we don't feel this love. You know, when we see ourselves in terms of our neuroscience and our evolutionary history, we can understand that again this logjam comes about because of different things going on in our in our biochemistry. It's very important to go back to the sense of having a nervous system. You know, our nervous system, back to uh, 500 million years ago that we share with all animals that have spines, is basically a system of <coughs> na- navigating self and other. There's us as an organism, and then there's all of that, all you lot, and then all the you know, sea and the sky and everything else. So it's me and the universe. And the nervous system is this brilliant thing that's developed through evolution as a way of, of kind of navigating that. A very basic uh, thing that even sort of single-cell organisms have is like move towards things that are going to feed you and look after you and move away from toxic things. And that basic impulse is then elaborated into this phenomenal bit of uh, neurochemistry, which is the the nervous system, the spine and the brain, which basically builds on that in enormously sophisticated ways. But the, the central uh, idea is still there. It's like, how, do, how does this organism correspond, um, work with um, the environment? And right at the heart of that is uh, what we call the, the vagal nerve. So the vagal nerve runs from the very ancient part of the brain and down through the spine into the guts. So this is like gut feeling. You know, when you, you go into a situation, you know it's wrong. Uh, it's also when you know, you're being attacked and you need to run away or fight. So these are very, uh, very basic um, responses to the world. So the, uh, over, over time, this, this sort of nervous s- system developed different strategies. Very, very basic animals, like reptiles, 
they don't really uh, fight or flee, they just play dead. So the very oldest response to danger is to just collapse and play dead. And we still have that. We still have that system in us. It's not like the human brain, start, someone said, okay, let's start afresh. Let's forget all those other you know, things in evolution. Let's have a completely new system. Uh, it's, like a, it's, a, it's an iOS operating system that is, has to keep on integrating the stuff that was there before. So we still have that reptile response of playing dead, which is what happens if somebody's you know, attacked or in a car crash or raped or something really traumatic happens, is that they just they leave their body. It's called massive dissociation. So they, they just completely leave their body. And it's a, it's a very heroic way of surviving terrible trauma. It's no, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, uh, it's the best way that the organism has to survive trauma. And then later iterations of this operating system has, have things like fight or flight. So mammals have this and you know, lower animals. Um, so most, most animals have variants of this, which is either you attack, so your system goes into overdrive for attack, so your hackles go up and you're like full of adrenaline, or you run away, so you're also full of adrenaline, but your hands, your legs start to move. Um, and so this is a more sophisticated version of this kind of how do I negotiate the world. And for many, many years, and interestingly, way, way up until the 1990s, this was considered how humans functioned. They had a nervous system that worked in these two modalities, essentially what they call the parasympathetic, which was at rest, and the sympathetic, which was in flight or in fight. And it's interesting, sociologically, I think it's interesting that this paradigm ran parallel with greed is good, you know, untrammeled expansion. It's all about fighting and competing. You know, that, you know, those, those cultural ideas, which were very much around in the 80s and before that, you know, ran parallel with this idea you know, that we are fundamentally fighters and we're kind of... We, it's all about fighting and competition and this Darwinian idea of like the survival of the fittest. But actually that's complete bollocks. And all the, all the scientific research, particularly a brilliant man called Stephen Porges, shows that this is, this is a complete misreading of biology. Because for 200 million years, there's been another system, as long as mammals have been around, which totally supersedes those other two, the reptile and the, the, the fight or flight, which is the, which is the mammalian uh, care uh, and social system. And this is particularly true as we elaborated into primates. Because if you think about it, the reason we're successful is not because we're really good fighters. You know, we definitely lose against an elephant. It's not because we're particularly good runners. We definitely lose to a cheetah. It's because we cooperate. It's because we stick together in gangs. And that way we manage to catch loads of other animals and kill them and eat them. That's why our brains got big. So actually, when they say survival of the fittest, they don't mean like the fittest, a, the one who's got the biggest muscles. They mean the one that fits in best. 
that has the best fit into the environment. And so that means that where the, the nervous system fits the environment most skillfully, where there's the maximum adaptation to what's going on around. And so actually for 200 million years, we've developed this very sophisticated third system, which Porges calls the social system, which is nothing to do with actually um, the um, adrenalized action system or the play dead system, but is actually to do with um, cooperation and connection. It's to do with checking out people around you with your eyes and listening with your ears for social cues that let you know that this is someone you can work with. This is someone who's going to care for you. Or this is someone I can collaborate with. And that we listen and we look and we read body language. And that when we see cues back through our eyes, and we listen and we hear like people going, hi, how are you? Rather than, I'm going to kill you! <laughs> so when you hear those different tunes, then your, your brain, and it's a particular part of the vagus nerve, they call it the myelinated, the sheathed vagus nerve, which is a later addition and much faster than the others. It goes from the, um, from the, the, the visual cortex and the auditory cortex and the face recognition cortex, and it goes straight to the heart and the lungs. And it overrides those more primitive responses. Those, I'm going to kill you, or I'm going to run away and hide, or I'm going to play dead. Which are very self-isolating. They're very shut-down responses. And instead it builds bridges outwards. It connects, it empathises. There's the, the mirror neurons that kind of try and work out what the other person is feeling. Not out of some kind of like, oh, because I want to be a good Buddhist, but because that way that peace reigns. Peace and growth and flourishing. And so we can understand the whole idea of what the Dalai Lama is saying <coughs> in the sense of this, up, this upwelling of a natural uh, connection and communication as being the manifestation of that natural uh, ability we have as advanced mammals to see the good in others and recognize where there's a chance to connect and to bring people into communities and work together rather than have lots of ostracized people and self-ostracization where we cut ourselves out of the picture. And in some sense, understanding it that way makes it much easier, I feel, because it gets rid of this idea which is essentially a cognitive idea, i.e. only 400,000 years old, <clears throat> that somehow it's our fault that we're not compassionate. Or it's our fault if we get angry or if we isolate. It's not our fault, it's just an older structure, an older system <clears throat> coming into power when a newer system, i.e. the mammalian system, isn't strong enough or gets uh, derailed. And so in some senses, all our compassion practice is about strengthening that natural ability to connect with others. And there's a great um, Buddhist uh, teacher called Pema Chudran, who's a student of Chudyan Trimpa, a colleague of Reggie, 
who talks a lot about, um, and we'll talk about this too, about the bodhicitta, which is the awakened heart, which is this quality that the Dalai Lama talks about, this natural upflow of, of compassion and kindness and connectivity. And she says that bodhicitta is connection. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about connecting out and not self-isolating. And we can understand that comp- we can really, I, I find it's a great buoyant, boy, boy, buoyancy aid (laughs) to my practice to understand it in those terms that we're not having to create like Lego bricks you know a a big smiley heart it's actually already there that natural connectivity that natural warmth that tenderness is deeply programmed two million years of programming in us what we need to do is encourage it and we need to work skillfully with those other tendencies, those tendencies towards aggression, to uh, fleeing, and to freezing. And in a way, this is why I found the somatic work is so powerful, because you're working directly with those tendencies in the body, recognizing them, relaxing them, and then allowing this other, other um, path to just naturally happen. We connect not because we feel we have to, or because you know, the Dalai Lama said we should, but because that is the natural way of being uh, alive in this, in this um, incarnation. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again for more podcasts from MindSprings. You can find out more about us and our work at mind-springs.org. That's mind-springs.org.